in preparation for uh, today's message, we shall be reading from the book of Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. That's Galatians 2, verses 1 to 10. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them in that portion of Scripture and join me in reading God's Word. Let's all rise in reverence to the Word of God. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may now be seated. Our scripture reading is Galatians 2, 1 to 10. However, the sermon will be based only on verses 1 to 5. We will continue verses 6 to 10 on another sermon. The title of today's message is Confidence and Confirmation. Now, earlier in the verses preceding chapter 2, we find in chapter 1 that Paul shared God's call and purpose for his life, which was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, he reminded them that before he became an apostle, he was zealous and he violently persecuted the church. Paul received the gospel on the road to Damascus directly from Christ, yet Paul had the chance to meet Peter, as he narrated in the previous verses, with whom he spent 15 days, and Paul also met James, the brother of Christ. And after this, he mentioned that he preached in several areas, Syria and Cilicia. Again, let me state that Paul privately met the Jerusalem leaders, as we read in chapter 2, but previous to that, he already met Peter 
and stayed with him 15 days, and uh, we can safely assume that they talked about the gospel. They talked about one another's experience in Christ. Peter, who walked with Christ when before the resurrection, and Paul, who met the resurrected Christ already, and he also met James. He mentioned that after 14 years that they met once again, and it was a private meeting. Paul privately met the Jerusalem church leaders after 14 years since he had visited Syria and Cilicia. Barnabas and Titus accompanied Paul to Jerusalem. Now, Barnabas was a Jew, while Titus was a Gentile. Let us read verse 1. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Now, Paul's team, this team of three that visited Jerusalem, reflected their conviction that the gospel must be spread to the Gentiles. Again, Barnabas was a Jew like Paul, but Titus was a pure Gentile. Now, Timothy was not mentioned here, but Timothy was sort of a crossbreed of Jew and Gentile. That's why Timothy allowed, Paul allowed Timothy to be circumcised for cultural reasons, perhaps, and traditional reasons, but not out of salvation and conviction. But Titus was a pure Gentile, and this time he wanted to fight to make sure that he would be accepted. And of course, the story went, as we have read, that they did accept Titus, and they did acknowledge that he is saved by the grace of God, although that is not the specific words, without requiring anything else except faith, in Christ. Now, that very team that visited Jerusalem formed a conviction. Paul was there, Barnabas a Jew with him, like Paul a Jew, but Titus a pure Gentile. Now, Jewish and Gentile believers served together in the Lord, and this was evidence that Paul wanted to show. Because before there was a very strong racial divide that the Jew has nothing to do with the Gentile. They are unclean. What they eat, what they do, is unclean for the Jew. For the Jew, they think themselves to be chosen of God because of the law. One reason is the law, and one reason is Moses. Another reason, of course, is their history, all the way up to Abraham, who was circumcised based on the covenant. And they were holding on to that, to that, that in Christ, the gospel is the gospel. However, you should also follow the other rules. There's so many laws that we will find for Jewish people only. He's saying that that's no longer needed. We are free from that. Now, he's not, not saying we are free to live immoral lives. No, he's saying that we are free from the other requirements of the law, from the requirements of the law is not a condition to salvation. It is faith alone, grace alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, based on Scripture 
alone, according to the reformers. Now, the proof that Gentile and Jew were working together to spread the gospel, it supports, even if you look further in a bigger picture of the Word of God, as we see all the way to Revelations, and we find in Luke and Matthew, that Jesus commanded that every to make disciples of all nations, which means the word for that is ethne, which also means all tribes and all languages. And in Revelations, it says that all tongues means all languages, all tribes will come before God. And through the Son, through the Lamb of God, they will be called in to worship God. So, in fact, the story of Luke-Acts is the story of how the gospel went from the Jew to the Gentile. And even Paul, when he wrote in Ephesians, said that the mystery is this, that they are included in God's plan. So the gospel is not only for the Jew, but only for the Gentile. So the first point was the team with comprising Barnabas a Jew and Titus a Gentile met, went with Paul to meet the leaders of Jerusalem. And we know these were the apostles who lived with Christ, who learned from Christ directly, and he who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we believe in. We believe in what they saw, in what they witnessed. Take note of that. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. We have a gospel because of the resurrection. And Paul mentioned that in the earlier part of chapter 1 in his greeting. And you'll see that as well in chapter 1 of Romans. And you'll see that everywhere. The value of the resurrection is immense. That is what makes us different from every other religion. Others require good works. Christ did the good works. What we have to do is believe in Him. But good works is part of the Christian life, but that is not the basis of salvation. The basis of salvation is faith in Christ Jesus and what He has done. I hope we understand that. And it is not a faith like the demons have. They believe God exists. They believe in what Jesus did, but they're still demons. It's not a passive belief. It is an active belief. If I were to rephrase it, do you believe in Christ more than yourself? You have to believe in Him in everything. You have to believe in His Word more than your personal perspective and opinions. Thus, the necessity to study and learn. But it all begins with the gospel, because if the gospel is wrong, everything is wrong. If the gospel is tweaked a little bit, like some are doing, you could tell if you study scripture and how the gospel was presented in all the New Testament, even involved the Old, and see the context of, of the whole thing, you would see that some would try to add a little here and add a little there. And Paul is fighting that. Don't add to it. Don't add that circumcision representing the law is required for salvation. 
As I told you before, obedience to the word does not save you. Obedience is just the output of your genuine salvation. If you truly have faith, the obedience follows. It's a proof, not the basis of salvation, but it is the proof that you truly believe in Him and the grace of God is with you. Because without the grace of God, you cannot obey the Word of God. You cannot believe. It is impossible. Impossible. But with the grace of God and you having faith, the result would be the heart and willingness to serve Him, to follow Him, and to obey Him. Nobody has to force you. It's something that you want. And if it, you're not yet at that stage, you come to the Lord in prayer and say, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, and regenerate me. Save me. I want to believe with all my heart. And as a result, if you truly believe, you also repent of your sin. You turn away. You change your mind. The word repentance is a change of perspective towards sin especially, but a change of perspective in everything that you have learned to make it according to God's will. After 14 years, Paul said, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Let's read verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. Next, the gospel that I proclaim. He set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, it says here, I went up because of a revelation. Means, again, divine revelation moved Paul to visit Jerusalem. Although Paul showed confidence in his message, he was very confident with the gospel he preached, yet he still confirmed with the influential Jerusalem apostles. Not just so that they can, it's not for the sake that, that he's not confident, that's why he went there. In fact, he went there. Well, one is to show them proof, but yes, also to confirm, and that's what we do in the body of Christ. I believe in something in the Word, and my fellow believers who also study the Word, we exchange notes. We exchange notes. I speak with other believers as well, other Christian leaders, and there are things I question with what they preach, and I try to do it gently, and they have the right to do it as well. So I've been asking people, did Jesus truly command, go to all the world and tell them to follow a sinner's prayer and accept me? He did not directly say that. What he said was, you are witnesses of the suffering, death, and resurrection. And proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. That was a direct command. Should we follow it? Now, in what way is a sinner's prayer valid? It's not follow me, repeat after me, and you will be saved. No, it's a heart cry. Those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's something that comes from here, deep within you, because you know you're a sinner and you need Him. 
But if the message has not sunk down, has not really permeated your being, and somebody just told you, repeat after me, say this prayer, and after saying that, you are saved. First of all, the last part I wouldn't do. Because it's clear in Romans that the one who assures the believer, the true believer, is the Holy Spirit. They would know deep within that something has happened. That he had an encounter with the divine, with God himself. And he was brought to repentance. He was brought to faith. He knows that. That's why he calls on the name of the Lord. Not a puny repeat after me. And that's it. Is it magic? Is it liturgy? No, 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 no. That's why though true believers have a heartfelt call when they pray to the Lord. It's not something on the surface. It's not mechanical. It's not just something you grew up with. You know it's just right there deep within you. Now, next point is not in vain. He's still confirmed. Because if he was not confirmed, otherwise he would have worked in vain. What does that mean? Well, if the Jerusalem apostles did not agree, it means they could send people and wherever he preached, they would overturn it. And some Judaizers were doing that. Wherever Paul, like in Galatia, South Galatia, as we presume in South Galatia, where he went, some people from Jerusalem followed and tried to overturn what he was preaching, adding something else, and then questioning his apostleship. But he's now saying that I met with the leaders. And they gave me confirmation about what I was preaching. So again, just to review, he went to Jerusalem because Paul received a direct revelation from God about the gospel, and he was directed to go there. Paul met Peter and James years before meeting with his team. Remember, in the earlier verses in chapter 1, that Paul met with Peter 15 days, and he also met James, the brother of Jesus. But then after 14 years from Cilicia and Syria, he went to Jerusalem. Now, I'd like to make a very important point. Paul no longer needed the imprimatur of the apostles, but their confirmation would help in a practical sense. Now, can you preach the gospel everywhere? Of course. But does it pay to work with other leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ? Of course, because it shows confirmation. That's why the alliance of others, uh, of, 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 of churches and leaders and those who go on missionary journeys, it, it is necessary and important because we were never called to do things alone. And Lone Ranger Christians, it's not a biblical lifestyle. That's why there is a body of Christ that we are connected to spiritual authority, which we give them the right to correct us and the right to encourage us. It works two ways. Some people just want to be encouraged. They don't want to be corrected. You're not looking for a church. You're looking for a club, a social club. But the church of Jesus Christ must have both. We give encouragement and we give correction. And that's true for all of us including pastors, including elders. 
And that's the community we have. Nobody is perfect. That's why we need one another to gently remind one another and sometimes to be firm with each other. Do you know that sometimes you need a brother or a sister to be firm with you, to set you on the right track because we are so stubborn sometimes. Our emotions are so stubborn. The way we, we grew up became so, we are so stubborn with our personalities as well. And so we need others to say, hey, not like that, please. Uh, this way, please. And uh, that is important. And if we are in danger of going to the boundary of committing a sin that can affect our lives and the lives of others, we need the brothers and sisters to say, stop, think, step back, remember the scriptures. We need that. Do you know that sometimes you know what scripture says, but you still need that brother or sister? hold you and say I'm with you okay let me divert your attention to that temptation come with me let's talk let's gather we need that or we're just lost minding our business going through the cycle of life the boring cycle of life you wake up you go to work maybe meet with friends and go home and sleep and then the cycle again and again and again, or maybe you just go to work and go home, go to school and go home, play some games and it is a cycle of work. You're not, you don't feel you're in trouble, but you are. You're apathetic towards the gospel. You know the gospel, but you're not living the gospel. And that's why we need one another to just say, what should we do? We need that encouragement. We need that inspiration to keep going and believing and proclaiming. Not required, my last point. Now, not one of the apostles, Cephas, who is also Peter, yeah, the, he has two names, like Paul is also Saul, Okay, uh, Saul is his Jewish name, Paul is his Roman name. Uh, some of you have two names in your legal name. One of my sons have three. But sometimes you only have one name, and Filipinos like to create nicknames. And uh, Cephas was also Peter. Now, not one of the apostles required the circumcision of Titus. They understood, as Paul did, that circumcision, representing the law, was not needed for salvation. Paul and Titus stood firm despite the pressure from false believers. And I'd like to read that, verses 3 up to 5. Verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. And, uh, the word Greek also means, at, that, at this context, a Gentile. Verse 4, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, 
so that they might bring us into slavery. And Paul would explain that being under the law is being slave of the law. And of course, we'd rather be experience freedom by being a slave of Christ, being a servant of Christ. Now, there's an important point here. There is such a thing as false brothers. Who are these false brothers? Those who do not preach the pure gospel. Those who try to add something to it as a requirement. Rather than focusing on the person of Christ, they wanted to bring in the law of Moses, which is full of do's and don'ts. Do Christians have do's and don'ts? Yes, yes, yes. But the law is for the Jew. Although Paul would cite the deeds of the flesh that we should not do if we're truly in Christ, that we should not live immoral lives, but morality is not the main message. Others make morality the main message. The main message is Christ himself. What he has done, who he is, and what that means to us in relation to who we are and who are we we are wretched sinners sinners you're a sinner i'm a sinner we all do not deserve anything any good thing from god we don't deserve it that's why we are given grace we are saved by grace what does grace mean so a gift that you did not work for. That's grace. God's favor that we do not deserve. We don't. Now, if you ever think one day how long you have served God and you begin praying like, Lord, haven't I served you for so long? Why do you do this to me? Now, if you pray that, you, see, you can even say, I read that in the Psalms. Remember that that context is before Christ. Now we have the grace of God. And that is a gift that we don't deserve. We are free from the requirements of the law. You know, in the law, if you read Exodus and Leviticus, there's so many things you have to do and comply with. That includes every year bringing an animal to the temple or to the tabernacle. An innocent animal and kill it right there as a substitution for your sin. An innocent animal. And that is a foreshadowing of the Christ to come. But that was a requirement. Do you know that if you have a skin rash, which is, I think, a right thing to do, you're told to live outside the camp for many days until the skin rash is gone. Well, what for? To avoid contamination. That you have to report immediately. But all that is in the name of religion. Paul is saying we are free. We are free. Now, the problem is when New Testament believers who believe in the grace of God start believing that they are Jewish Christians also. When they read the Old Testament, they see the application to themselves like uh, some would say, I don't eat pork because that's illegal in the Old Testament. Once you begin saying that, 
If you're saying that that's a sin because the Old Testament said it, you're interpreting it out of context. First, my question is, are you a Jew who belong to the Old Testament? No, you're a Gentile. You're a Filipino. You're a Gentile. Next, in the New Testament, Paul or, or the authors have mentioned we are free to eat anything. In the book of Acts, some of you might say, there was a point there where it says that just don't eat anything with blood. Take note, Acts is a narrative. It's not epistle. In a narrative, nothing. In, in a narrative, we have to be careful to match it with the epistles. To see some harmony, because a narrative is a narrative. Now, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp argument. So do we say that it's all okay always to have a sharp argument? No, that's not what it is saying. It's just telling the story. That's a narrative. King Solomon had many wives. Is that a narrative? Yeah. Did it say in the epistles, it's okay to have many wives? No, you don't find that. So we are careful how we deal with the narrative. We see in the epistle, you can eat. Sure. Pastor, is it okay to eat pork? Yeah. Including dinuguan? I heard this joke. Bawal daw kumain ng dinuguan. Pag walang puto. But if you say health-wise, I don't want to eat it, that's okay. But never say it's for religious belief. Then you're out of context. If you're not eating certain foods for health reasons, it's easy to accept that. And I will accept that for health reasons. But once you begin saying, because that's a sin, then you don't know how to interpret the scriptures. There's a way to interpret a narrative. There's a way to interpret an epistle. There's a way to interpret poetry. There's a way to interpret prophecy. And we should be careful how we handle these things. That's why we study. Now, to those who are regular in the growth groups, we, every family we promise to give you, uh, uh, and, and we're ordering once again that wonderful little book, on how to read the Bible book by book by Gordon Fee. We want every family, at least one family represented in the growth groups or you attend a small group or a discipleship, even one-on-one. -on -one. We want to give that to you. Why? So that before we preach, I'm preaching on Galatians, you can read on it and it gives you guidance on how to interpret per book as well. So you don't believe everything you hear on YouTube or every preacher that you know in your history, even though you're close friends with them. Because me, even if I'm a close friend of yours, please check the words I say to you. Because that is a community of believers. No one is higher than Scripture, but we are contextual students of Scripture. Contextual, not, I got a verse here, I got the verse there, I got the verse here, put them together, I've got a lesson. Without looking at the context, the meaning of within the context. That's improper, and that's dangerous, and that can lead to false teaching. Now, the, these are false brothers. There are false brothers. Who are these false brothers? 
who have a distorted understanding of the gospel. That's why when I came here, first thing is what is the gospel? And some of you are very stubborn about it because of your traditions. I say, can't we con be content on what scripture says? Jesus said, suffering, death, resurrection. And then he commanded, proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus himself said, Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Take note, that's Jesus preaching. But how do we preach today? I hardly hear the word repentance. If you don't use the word repentance, there are other words like turn away from evil, avoid the deeds of darkness. Those are other terms for repentance. Abstain from wickedness. From now on, when you follow Christ, don't do that because you truly believe in him. There are other words. Now, these false brothers could be the same false brothers that tried to disturb the faith of the Galatians. Now, it seemed that Paul was saying to the Galatians that they should stand firm as Titus did. Titus stood firm when there was pressure. To follow the law, he did not. And he would say, he didn't, well, it's not recorded, but I believe in his heart, something like this. The gospel is sufficient. The grace is sufficient. That is no longer needed. Please remember this. No distortions are allowed in the gospel. It's simple enough. Don't need to change it. Don't make it even easier. Just preach it as it is. I heard one say to me, and he's supposedly a Christian leader. I was invited to speak in a group of, a small group online, and these are leaders of churches and businesses, Christians. And when I talked about Luke 24 and sharing to them what Jesus directly commanded, repentance for forgiveness, uh, one of them said, that's very difficult to preach repentance. <laughs> so I wanted to say, you don't preach it? And then he continued to say, it's very hard to address sin. So in my mind, then what in the world are you preaching? The gospel, Jesus Christ died for sin because of our sin. And then for so in so many areas, he expected us to be holy as he is holy. And again, I would say dangerous because if you do not preach the gospel, your church might grow. It might grow full of false believers. So the basis is not the growth of the church. Well, we want a growing church full of genuine disciples, true believers. But our goal is to present the gospel as clear as it is and pray that God would save them. Again, who would save them? God. It's not our role to save people. Our role is to proclaim the gospel. So I say, believe in Christ, follow Christ, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus Christ suffered, died, and resurrected. Sure, you know this, but know the deep significance of it because he suffered for our sin. If that doesn't mean anything to you, if you, that is just information in your head, then you do not understand the relevance of it. 
because that is something that will keep you thanking God when you sleep. That's something that will make you thank God when you wake up. That's something that will make you thank God it's Sunday and I'm going to hear the word of God. It's something that will make you say, thank you, Lord. You saved me from eternal damnation and I don't deserve it. And not because I'm so good, but because you are so good. Application. Study yet confirm. Every believer should know the gospel as revealed in scripture. Yet believers must confirm with other diligent and godly students of scripture. Although we may grow in confidence in our knowledge, it is good to sync with the believers. Is there a possibility of error in our studies? Definitely. Is there a possibility of error when we read the scholars who wrote some of these wonderful commentaries? Yes, there's a possibility. That's why we even compare them. For example, Galatians. I have several books on Galatians written by scholars in a library. What is a diligent thing to do? Well, Study it by yourself first, and then try to confirm it with the others who have written about it. It is possible one must be careful to understand the author's intent based on his context. Then seek to apply it in our present context. Please don't be lazy. Well, I trust Brother Ed because he studies these things. And I trust brother like that and brother like that because he, he also went to seminary or Bible school. Oh boy, if you say that, you're saying you're lazy. Of course, I'll have to do my best to be accurate, but you can check it. If you say, oh, because he studied and because he studied, sure. What about you? Now, in the growth groups, we try to slowly bring you a very slow point of teaching us context study. And that's very important. And growth group leaders should teach context study. Why this means this and not this based on the context. You don't read a newspaper and start from the middle of the story and read a paragraph in the middle. You take the whole story. And some are doing like that by isolating verses. You can't just isolate verses from Galatians and know what it means without studying the whole book of Galatians. That's why we're going to study it verse by verse until we finish it. And we still have to read about the historical accounts that have been researched about this book. Wow, so many things to do. Well, that's the price of accuracy. We love God's Word, and it's something that we find beautiful. Now, although we may grow in confidence in our knowledge, it is good to talk about it. Is there a possibility of error? Yes. So be careful. What is the intent of the author? Now, once we understand what it says and what it means according to the author, then we can say, how can I apply this in my life? Some jump to application. They read a verse, they jump to application. Don't jump. What is the meaning? So Judas hung himself. How do you apply that? Yeah, uh, don't jump to application. If your left hand makes you sin, cut it off. <laughs> How do you apply that? Uh, you have to study, is this a metaphor or is this literal? 
there are things to study. Number two, beware of false believers. The apostles, including Paul, defended against false believers who propagated false teaching. Now, true believers are not perfect, but some of us have adopted a very judgmental spirit that everybody should be perfect except us. That's dangerous. How do you hear this? You listen to a person who's, who can point out the mistakes of so many believers around him. Oh, why is he like this? Bakit siya ganon? You begin hearing that, that's, that's gossip. In the light of negativity, we sometimes criticize everybody without criticizing ourselves. And what is that? That is hypocrisy. But if you begin with you, well, <laughs> I'm growing in Christ and there's some things I need to improve. And by God's grace, I will, uh, I will improve those habits uh, by God's grace and through time. Um, so there's that part that you're admitting you're not perfect. You have to put that in there. Because if you think everybody should be perfect, you criticize everybody, you're acting like... Now, true believers are not perfect, but they, are, they have to understand the purity of the gospel. Because a person might claim morality, but they preach the false gospel that is still a false believer. What is the gospel that you believe? Well, Paul, well, the apostles, including Paul, defended against false believers who propagated false teaching. We can see that. Almost all the book of the New Testament, except for one, all the books except for one, all the books dealt something, wrote something about false teaching. If that was important for them, it should be important for us. It's not the same. Don't just say because a church is also named GCF that they preach correctly. As long as there's a CF at the end. <laughs> no, 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 no. As long as it belongs to one of these campus ministries that are famous, they're okay. No. Scripture, context study, every little thing. We should continue to defend the gospel against who, all who try to distort it, even a little bit. Let us stand firm and not give way. Now, how do we detect false believers? One, they do not preach an accurate gospel. It's not accurate. That's why you have to know what is accurate. There's so many additions connected to if you do this, you're saved. Some have subtractions. Just do this. Just, there's an addition, follow this prayer, and there's a subtraction. No need to repent as long as you accept it. No, no, you, you can't separate the two. If you truly receive the gospel, you have repented, then you have faith in Christ. You can't separate that. They do not preach an accurate gospel. And number two, their lives do not reflect faith and repentance. Their very lives do not reflect it. Three, they interpret the gospel out of context. And what should you do? Avoid such people. Well, 
tried to correct them first, proclaim the gospel to them. And lastly, last application, enjoy the freedom. The apostles required nothing from Titus concerning circumcision or other parts of the law. Enjoy the freedom to eat what you want, but hopefully you don't die because of unhealthy reasons. But it's not about eating or drinking. It's not about sin or not sin. If you abuse your body, that's a, court, that's a violation of your conscience as well. But to eat a particular thing is not. We are not under law. We are under Christ. Again, the apostles required nothing from Titus concerning circumcision, which represents the law of Moses. They deemed the gospel to be sufficient. We receive freedom in Christ's good news, the gospel, and let us not live under the law. Now, some make the gospel easier. Others make it harder. Some subtract from it. Others add to it. Let us enjoy the freedom in the gospel. Christ suffered, died, and rose again. We keep preaching that. That's the main message. And then, what is the response? Christ commanded his disciples to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you put Paul in context, when he was in front of King Agrippa, he said, let me paraphrase, in the different places I went, I preached repentance. He said that because that's part of the gospel. I proclaim repentance, and there is forgiveness, and there is freedom from the yoke of the law. We have Christ. We don't have to be subject to so many rituals. We are free. You are free. You're not free to sin, but you're free from many requirements of the law. And if we sin, we have forgiveness in Christ. If we come humbly and seek his forgiveness, forgive me, Lord. You thought for of a sinful thing. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. You said something that you realize you should not have said. Forgive me, Lord, of my sin. And God's forgiveness is there. You are disturbed by sin, and that is one trait of a true believer. An unbeliever is not bothered at all. Let's just continue sinning without being bothered with their conscience. Conscience. So I... I will continue in chapter 2, 1 to 10. We have discussed 1 to 5. And then 6 to 10, it's how the apostles gave Paul and Barnabas what we call the right hand of fellowship. They said, you belong. Why do they belong? Because they believed in the same gospel. And we do that too to other believers who clearly believe the same gospel we believe. We give the right hand of fellowship. What if they're not? We're cautious. We're cautious. Allow me to share to you four verses of a poem called Gospel to the Core. God led Paul to meet the others. It was good to be with the brothers. With him was Barnabas the Jew. The Gentile Titus was there too. Paul preached to the Gentile people, though confident with the gospel, still compared notes with apostles. One gospel, no other models. 
Circumcision was not required despite false brothers who conspired. Paul and Titus stood firm and true of the gospel that they knew. No addition and no distortion and nothing out of proportion. Let's stand true as they did before, gospel believers to the core. Let us all rise and let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your message. Be glorified in our lives. May we appreciate the gospel and appreciate this freedom that we don't have to follow the Old Testament law, yet still having a conscience to obey and follow because that is a natural thing if we believe, because we believe we follow. And you have given us this gift of grace that led us to faith, that gave us the desire to obey you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Though imperfect, we strive for perfection, but we cannot do it. It is an impossibility without the grace of God. We thank you for the favor that we do not deserve in Christ. And that we see is the evidence of your love. Your love is found in Christ. And there is freedom there. There is freedom there. There is freedom to be who you called us to be. And we pray, praise you. We pray thank you. We pray allow us to grow in grace. Allow us to live the gospel of Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Good morning.